I'm Victoria Doherty, and welcome to the cold. You are in the Storyteller's Church, where a story is told with a cold eye, but never a cold heart. And this week, we come to the end. We come to the end of our autopsy of the fairy tale, figuring out which tropes are necessary to a great, long-lasting story, how to execute them, what makes the parts of a fairy tale so compelling, which ones we can do without and which ones we absolutely must put into a story of, of this sort. And so as we truly come to the end of this co- uh, this uh, cold fairy tale in progress, which we've been promising to do probably for two or three episodes, but hey, you know, sometimes the story goes on a bit longer than it's supposed to, but today truly is the end. And although like many, if not all fairy tales, the end can signify a new beginning. That beginning might be assured with the time immortal words and they lived happily ever after or it might be more ambiguous. What, we might wonder, happened to Hansel and Gretel after they escaped from the witch who had planned to eat Hansel and keep Gretel as her personal slave. I mean, we know they returned home even though their stepmother had abandoned them in the woods, leaving them at the mercy of hunger and the elements, and of course, nefarious strangers. In the original story, a famine in the region had made food scarce, and the evil stepmother hoped to convince her husband that his kids had gotten lost, thus leaving more food for her. Now there's an evil fairy tale villain for you. And in the very end, Hansel and Gretel awaken in their beds the morning after returning home. And they awaken to the sounds of their father and their stepmother arguing. (laughs) No wonder. So maybe that's not so happily ever after. Gretel is also left with the memory of having pushed an old witch into an oven and burning her to death, even if it was for the sake of her brother. Now, as for Romakai, I think you'll have to decide for yourselves whether you think she and Lionel lived happily ever after or not. I mean, this is the cold after all. We do like to leave a little room for interpretation. But without, uh, with Without further ado, let's go. Let's let's get there. Romakai, part nine, the final part. This is the end for sure, absolutely. On the night of the lunar eclipse, the sky was as clear and deep as a sapphire. Romakai gathered a simple dinner together for herself for Lionel and for Sybil, who had insisted on joining them. It included fresh apples, a bottle of wine, and a tart made from the mushrooms her friend had been gathering in the woods around their village. This batch, which Sybil had brought over the day before, 
was particularly pungent. And the fungi were a bright yellow, the color of carnival mustard. The three of them spread a blanket at the foot of the bridge that arched over Romakai's old pond. Lionel, Lionel opened the bottle of wine while Sybil cut the tart in crescents and placed the pieces on festive little plates patterned with tiny stars. The nature witch looked up at the full moon and bit down on her lip. In a few minutes, she said, that moon will be as red as blood. Lionel poured them each a glass of claret. He took a long sniff of the slice of still-warm tart that Sybil had passed to him. You said the mushroom symbolizes friendship in your family, did you not? Sybil nodded. So, before we begin our meal and enjoy the eclipse, let's drink to that. They lifted their glasses and did just so. The wine was warm and dry and Sybil hummed with pleasure. As for wine, that symbolizes a journey. Lionel smiled at Sybil and kissed Romakai on the brow. Bon voyage, he said. The tart came next, and they each placed a forkful in their mouths, washing it down with more wine. The claret and the mushroom tart came together beautifully, perfectly, vehemently. And the three went silent as they ate, glancing up the moon, which was just beginning to change. A shadow appeared at the moon's edge, and Romakai thought of Cressida, and the night she and the nature witch had spent watching just such a celestial event. How young she had felt that night. How hopeful. Then she looked at Lionel and felt just such a hope surge in her heart. Hope for his happiness. Hope for a long life with him. Hope for hope's sake. Hope for a miracle. Lionel thought of the choices Count Furfur had offered him in his dream. To do nothing and enjoy a single life of love and happiness, but condemn Romakai to an eternity as a keeper of lost souls and wife to an Earl of Hell. To kill Sybil with the dagger the Earl had given him and drink her blood, harnessing her power for himself and taking Romakai as his forever bride. Or to kill himself, offering up his soul to be born again and to search for Romakai in his next life. As the minutes ticked away and the shadow over the moon spread, he pondered what each of these choices would bring to his life. How they might change him or change the woman he loved and the world. Sybil did not think at all. 
she cleared her mind and began to chant. Her voice rose up over the pond, hovering like a honey bee over a cup of juice. A nature which knew better than to miss an opportunity to embolden her powers, her lunar song was the sticky silken web which bound her enchantments. As Romakai took another bite of the tart, savoring the earthy richness of it, the soft, spongy texture of the small mushrooms baked into the custard, she looked up at the moon in transition. Sybil's voice wrapped her round her like a sheath of muslin, while Lionel's heart beat steadily with her own. She felt a change within herself. No longer was she merely outside of her cottage with her lover and her dear friend. She was back in the early days of her life, feeling fragile and invincible all at once, as every child does. And when Romakai looked up at the moon, she found herself there as well, standing on its surface, gazing out at the infinite. And it's there she caught a familiar movement at the edge of her sight line. Yes, there on the horizon of her planet's only satellite stood Count Furfur. Soon, he said, in a matter of minutes, in fact. Lionel saw the Earl of Hell, too. Only in Lionel's vision, he was not on the moon. Lionel saw Count Furfur standing on the bridge that arched over the pond. His gold chain and charm, the same as Romakai's, dangled from his thin, stringy neck and glowed brightly like Venus in the night sky. Stealthily, Lionel removed the Count's dagger from his pocket. It was so sharp that it sliced through the flesh at the tip of his finger, and he didn't even feel it. He looked at Sybil, whose eyes were closed and her mouth open in song. She seemed oblivious to them, lost in her witch's rapture. How easily he could slit her throat, leaving her to slip painlessly into infinity then his eyes grazed over his lover. Her nimble body with skin as soft as a gentle wind, as sweet as honey. Her gaze was fixed on the moon, which was now three quarters in eclipse, and her face was a mask of concentration. Beautiful, loving, perfect. His love for Romakai cast a cold eye over the choices he'd been offered by Count Furfur. He knew he could not allow his lover to become a wife to such a creature, to spend time without end at his behest, caring for the wretched whom he had tempted into everlasting torment. Nor could he kill Sybil and drink her blood absorbing her powers and awarding himself a wife as if she were a prize. He was not a murderer, 
and he knew well that such a bargain would corrode the love he'd found. Lionel looked up at the moon, now fully red, as red as a sunset, a chili pepper, a bleeding heart. He put that sharpest of daggers to his chest and glanced at Romakai for one last memory of her. It was just then that she tore her eyes away from the moon and the Earl of Hell she saw there. She looked to Lionel for what she thought might be the last time, too. Romakai, he said, and she gasped, seeing the weapon he held in his hand and its placement over his most vital organ. Romakai, he said again, her name like a prayer on his tongue. Will you take off the necklace? Not the one I gave you, but the other. It's too late, she whispered. It doesn't matter. It's a hateful thing. Romakai's hand grasped at the chains around her neck. In her fear of Lionel doing harm to himself, she was careless, and her fingers tightened around both chains, Count Furfurs and the one her love had given her. She yanked hard, and each clasp broke instantly. Her fingers let go of the chains and their charms, flinging them away from her. No, she cried out once she saw what she'd done. She watched both Lionel's beautiful gift of love and Count Furfur's hateful gift of deception drop into the pond she'd been cursed to for so long. 296 years, 21 days, 6 hours, and roughly 20 minutes to be exact. She turned back to her love of all loves, though in that moment she found she could not recall his name. And Romakai remembered everything, clearly, distinctly, as if it had happened only moments before. That had been part of her curse. At least she thought so. I'll see you in a few years, I hope, her nameless lover whispered, holding the dagger up high. He thrust it deep into his chest. Sybil, help him, she cried. But the nature witch continued to chant, lost in her communion with the lunar eclipse. Romakai thought nothing of curses or consequences, of bargains or trickery. She grasped the handle of the dagger and pulled it out of her lover's heart in a single violent motion. In another motion, equally as determined, she thrust the dagger into her own long-beating heart. A heart that had survived water, loneliness, and a full 180,061 days longer than it should have. The many days and nights of Romakai's unusual life began to fade, seeming far away from her now, as if she were viewing them through an old telescope. Sybil's voice, loud and deep, as if coming up from a canyon, filled her ears. It seemed to pour into her, filling her veins as quickly as her blood left them. The 
pond, the bridge, the moon, the cottage, all whirred around Romakai. Only Count Furfur and Sybil remained anchored, standing stock still on one on the moon and the other on the blanket poised over her. Sybil bent over and extracted the dagger from Romakai's body, and in an instant, Romakai's eyes began to flutter. She licked her lips and took a deep breath. Lionel's eyes fluttered too, and he swallowed hard. He looked at his blood-soaked chest and raised an eyebrow. Romakai cast her gaze at the red moon, but the Count was no longer there. He appeared on the bridge and smiled at her. That strange, childlike smile of his. Come, he said. He held out his absurdly dainty hand, waiting for her to take it. Romakai felt drawn to do so, even if she did not want to. What do I do? Sybil opened her eyes and stopped chanting. Only you can make that decision, she told her. Romakai stood up a bit unsteadily. She went to take a step towards the Earl of Hell, lifting up her foot and preparing to set it down onto the first step leading up to the bridge. His thin lips parted in anticipation, and she could see his tiny, pearly teeth. I'm not going, she said. The Count narrowed his little eyes. But you must, he commanded. I'm staying here. You made a bargain. I remember no bargain, she told him. I think you're a liar, so I won't go. Count Furfur's lips curled. His childlike face became a mask of hatred. You come right now, or I will tear your friend and your lover to pieces, and you will spend eternity reliving that memory, hearing their screams. But Romakai fisted her hands. I think if you could kill them, they'd already be dead. Don't trifle with me, he bellowed. The only power you have is the power I give you, she shouted. Romakai remembered her mother had once told her this was true of all nightmares. The Count's face changed once again. His mask of hatred fell and his skin became smooth like an eggshell, his lips a thin red line. Romakai watched him remove the necklace, the one just like hers, from his neck and drop it into the water. Mortal, he said, without me you'll be weak, and with only one life to live. It'll be over in the blink of an eye. You'll become old and decrepit, and I'll watch you die from my throne. Then 
he disappeared. Ramakai's heart filled with joy and relief, but she couldn't remember why. She looked around her at the blood-red moon, the lovely old cottage with a sweet little pond in the back, and at her friend, Sybil. She knew Sybil. Hello. A dark and handsome young man put out his hand. It was strong, with soft skin and a map of deep lines on his palm. She reached out and shook it. This is Lionel, Sybil said. He lives in the cottage. Oh, Romakai peered at the cottage and imagined how nice it would be to live there. The old stones it was made of, the yellow lights glowing from its windows. Sybil's place was nice too, but this cottage seemed more like home somehow. It was almost like she lived in it before. Lionel's new to the village, Sybil said. He's only been here for a few months and is doing genealogy research on the area. Wasn't it kind of him to invite us to drink some wine and watch the eclipse at his place? Oh, well, yes. Yes, of course, Romakai said. Now she was beginning to remember, maybe. Sybil tells me you and she grew up here and you both live in the village together, Lionel said. In one of those old whitewashed stone houses that are passed down from generation to generation. Flashes of memory came to Romakai like pitchers in a book. Playing around this very pond is a girl watching an eclipse much like this one with a woman named, named, named Cressida. Sybil's cousin, perhaps, mourning the death of her parents. Was it only last year they died? It seemed like much longer than that. She looked to her friend Sybil, who assured her with a firm nod. Yes, I suppose we did. We do. <laughs> You're lucky, he said. I love this area. I could imagine staying here. Lionel glanced down at his shirt. There was a faint brown stain on it right over his heart, and he wondered briefly what he'd spilled on himself. Won't you come in? He asked them. I, I think I have some cheese and fresh bread. Romakai smiled and took his arm as Sybil stepped back, letting them pass. Well, won't you be joining us? Lionel asked her. His eyes remained fixed on Romakai's. Oh, not tonight, Sybil said. Oh, I'm awfully tired. Another time then. Yes, she said. The first of many, I'm sure. There we go. <laughs> the end. The end love and friendship and truth and enchanted mushrooms saved the day in our uh, 
in our fairy tale. And I hope you have enjoyed it. I hope that it has lived up to our expectations. I hope that we have deployed our tropes properly, our elements properly, our story properly, and have made it an interesting, interesting tale. Hopefully one for the ages. That would be marvelous. And um, hopefully we've all learned something in this in this story autopsy and I do so look forward to next week um, and uh, when we will be talking actually about my new tale coming out very very soon of Sand and Bone which is the second book book in my breath series my historical fantasy my epic um, third book if you count Savage Island which is a novella and a companion novel um, but certainly part of the story and I am redesigning all of my covers and they are so beautiful and they are so fabulous i'm just very very excited my illustrator alex ackman lawn is just fantastic as is my book designer laura drew and i'm i'm really blessed to have them so until next week stay cold my friends and thanks for listening mm-hmm.